I'm all about that fuss-free glam. Give me makeup that's versatile and feels like air on my skin and has ingredients that love my face, that's good for my face. You know, clean ingredients. And don't even get me started on mascaras because I do want them bold and lengthening. <laughs> and so we have Thrive Cosmetics, which I've been using since 2020, obviously because I appreciate their foolproof products that make it really easy to apply for any skill level. And they have a full line of makeup to refresh your everyday look, but also they give back. Every product purchased, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive. Hence why it's Thrive Cosmetics, C a u s e medics thrive cosmetics and bigger than beauty skincare are not just makeup brands they're a whole vibe they're all about empowering us to rock our confidence and when you support them we are helping other communities thrive their stuff is not only easy to use but no nasties zero parabens sulfites phthalates they are 100 vegan and cruelty free let's talk lashes thanks to thrive's liquid lash extensions i must say that my lashes are just so beautiful and lush it adds lengths there are no clumps and also guess what it slides right off with warm water so no raccoon eyes here and i appreciate they have nourishing ingredients that support longer stronger and healthier looking lashes over time and it's a unique formula they use that creates these tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. We've had problems in the past with the link, but the link does work now. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com magic. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash magic for 10% off your first order. As someone who is so excited to garden this spring, yet really wants top quality soil, I'm really excited to introduce you to Coast of Maine, which is an esteemed brand renowned for its organic soil offerings. And if you're seeking to infuse your home environment with a nourishing essence that promotes flourishing plant life, you're going to want to listen to this because with over 28 years of expertise, Coast of Maine has meticulously crafted soils sourced from oceanic waters and farms certified for organic cultivation. It's so nice to find such a sustainable sustainable, eco-friendly brand who really emphasizes the importance of natural ingredients to enrich their soil. And I mean, they have, like I said, top quality with rigorous quality control and OMRI listed certification. Their diverse range of products caters to all gardening needs. Most of our soils may lack appropriate nutrients for success for our plants and our plants need this. We want to regenerate the healthy microbes in our soils to set up for gardening success and just for our plants to thrive. So if we add Coast of Maine products, this will indeed help. Whether you're planting trees or shrubs or perennials in your yard, adding Coast of Maine soil in your planting holes leads to a long, slow feeding of your plants, making them self-sufficient and vibrant, which we love. Let's say you want a vegetable garden, 
Not only will you receive abundant harvest, but there will be less feeding and maintenance throughout the season. Amazing. You know that everything grown in Coast of Maine soil is organic and safe for your family and friends right out of the garden. And then you get to also feel good about their sourcing as I'm so thankful they provide natural ingredients because they will never include household waste or biosolids. And we know that nothing nurtures the world above better than the soil below, cultivated from products and practices rooted in coast of Maine. And so they will continually perfect the art and science of sourcing, mixing, and composting products worthy of the people in the place that inspired their brand and the healthier world it was built to serve. Coast of Maine believes in nurturing relationships with local retailers. We love supporting local and the products are carried by local retail partners who can provide advice and insight not found in big box stores. So Coast of Maine knows from beginner to expert, anyone who takes a hand to the land has something to offer the growing community of gardeners everywhere. And their products make organic gardening simple and approachable so we can all garden. So let's get to growing. Visit coastofmaine.com to find a local retailer near you. That's Coast of Maine, like the state with an E, Coast of dot the image of the thousand buddhas to me was oh we're all destined for this awakening and by practicing we're going to lift each other up and we're all going to get there together and uh, that still resonates with me a lot that this is a group effort <laughs> now let the magic begin <laughs> hello soul tribe it's raquel and merry december to you too thank you very much <laughs> i have been feeling so elated so free and so at peace now that i am past some of the hurdles of this year releasing <laughs> so much energy bottled up within me and burning it into the ethers, to be honest. <laughs> and it was actually Joni that recently brought this to my attention, but I just had a major transformational shift and healing since my talk with Ainsley McLeod, if you ever got a chance to listen to that episode last month, which I know was not only a major shift for me, but one for many of you as well. I feel as though after that call, I shifted to another paradigm as if as if there's not as much struggle or strain and the hump of my Saturn return is finally over <laughs> or mostly over because I heard the voice of my soul clear as day and how liberating it is to feel that all really is always well. Even if you've had a challenging year, if you've suffered through heartache or pain or jealousy or blame or guilt or shame and 
somehow your soul always knows, always knows all is well, always. And in this, I've been exploring the heart of my beautiful intrinsic self, this human, this human we call Raquel, who silences the extrinsic noise and and her own ego daily as it takes a backseat and she listens to her soul but paints this human, paints this human experience to be one she desires and colors her personality in a way that brings light to others and the world. Oh, the birds are singing. They're loving this. They're cheering me on. Can you hear them? Oh, this is, this makes me so happy right now. Oh. She paints this human experience to be an experience that she desires and intends to live in order to expand and her and grow her soul. This intrinsic self that will still have humanisms to deal with, like sadness and grief. I mean, that's just kind of the contract that we entered into, people. Because she knows her eternal worth and light is so beyond powerful. It becomes easier to release and let go of any of these negative energies that are sitting inside of her in some way. And guess what? It's not just me. All of you listening right now got that too. It's so beautiful. We all can paint our most beautiful intrinsic selves, really knowing our worth. (laughs) And right now, my intrinsic self is staring and just basking in her present portrait with so many birds around her, as you can hear, hopefully. And, you know, while sometimes painting her mind to think of what 2019 might look like, I love doing that. I love having visions of what my future might be. It excites me. It lights me up. But there's nothing wrong with thinking of your future a bit. As long as it doesn't bring you anxiety. That's a whole nother story. But painting her mind to see 2019 by setting intentions and collaborating with inspiration and beginning to create the adventures that she's been guided to do for so long, like the Bali retreat, and her book, finally, and more, and mostly just focused on anything that has to do with the expansion and connection of this soul tribe, who is the highlight of her life right now. And side note, by the way, the Bali retreat has about 20 spaces taken up and eight mall spots still available. Brie, my co-retreat leader, has done many retreats and said how powerful a big group is energetically, so I'm just so excited to do that. And and if you've applied and couldn't make it, I love you, and I got you, and I'll ping you for another Yomi event, which, another side note, I guess some podcasts do live podcasts, like they go to different cities around the world and they'll do a live podcast for their audience. That sounds so fun. (laughs) What are your thoughts on that? Somebody let me know, perhaps in the Facebook group. Tag me. Let me know your thoughts on that because I'm painting my 2019 right now with a lot of space to just flow. Anyways, so cheers to the tail end of the year and her Saturn return. (laughs) That 
has taught this one we call Raquel so much. And thank you to all of you who have been there listening and supporting and expanding along this journey with me. I am so excited to share more magical humans with you and talk to more magical humans. And perhaps if it's requested, do more soulful solo episodes as well. Even if it's not a Monday, just as it flows, because I have so much I want to share from my heart. That really lights me up right now. (laughs) And again, thank you. And I know many of you listening are creative and curious souls in which you paint, perhaps. I've seen many posts of amazing paintings in the Your Own Magic Facebook group, and it always becomes a major hit from the tribe. And I realize I haven't had enough or any painters on this podcast. What is up with that? So that changes today. Yep, last week you heard international yoga teacher and hip-hop artist MC Yogi talk about his magic and how he creates his art in yoga and music. And this week, his talented and beautiful wife, Amanda, shares her life story and the inspiration behind her globally known 10,000 Buddhas, which... Amanda paints murals of Buddhas all around the world, collectively well over 10,000 by now. And she shares her journey, what the Buddha means to her now, overcoming fears, overcoming artist blocks, which we all are probably very familiar with, and her creative process, yoga, spirituality, and of course, collaborating with her hubby. I'm so thrilled for you to hear the magic, the golden nuggets of wisdom that Amanda shares in this episode. She has truly inspired me to dapple in painting more, especially as my mind paints my reality. Might as well grab a physical paintbrush, right? Right? Why not? And oh, duh, this is the perfect segue into today's sponsor, Skillshare, who is still gifting you two months for only 99 cents when you use our special link, skillshare.com forward slash magic. There is no better deal than that. So amazing. Because if you're not aware of Skillshare, let me just tell you, they collaborate with professionals and masters to bring us over 20,000 courses in a wide range of topics, including painting, like what Amanda does, or illustrations, digital illustrations, singing, photography, also a lot of business advice for entrepreneurs and how to expand your business or your reach in this social media age as well. My favorites to dapple in are definitely the writing courses, of course, but now perhaps I'll try painting, maybe water painting. I I like watercolors. Watercolors make me happy. Anyways, try Skillshare for 99 cents for two whole months, starting your 2019 with a new skill by going to skillshare.com forward slash magic. I will leave the link in the show notes for you. And also quick shout out to Stephanie Della Porta for being the Yomi review of the week. And Stephanie writes, magical. 
I have been listening to these podcasts for almost two weeks now and my soul finally feels at home as I have been learning how to know her with a capital H better. Thank you for providing the necessary tools. Light and love to you all. XO Stephanie. XOXO Stephanie. Thank you so much for listening. This review meant more than you know, and I'm so happy that you are collecting these tools to help you understand her with a capital H better as well. And also, I'm just so thankful to everyone who has reviewed. That one review, by the way, is almost like your sweet donation to this podcast to allow me to gather the brilliant guests like Amanda. So thank you all so much from the pit of my solar plexus for all your reviews and just being a listener, being a part of the tribe. I love you. And now, I believe it is time to let the magic begin with Amanda Giacomini. I am so amazed by the work that you do and so honored to be chatting with you. Mm, Thank you. Yeah, I'm always honored to chat with someone who is a very powerful and empowered woman like yourself. You are a multi-talented woman who I really look up to creatively and also on a very soulful level as well as there's a lot of depth and wisdom that you carry from what I've read and heard from you and also seen in your art. So... Yeah, before we get into your story of your very famous 10,000 Buddhas, (laughs) I want to hear from your voice the story of you and the many twists and turns and trials and errors that you've had to endure as you've taken on your soul's journey to become the artist and the person that you are today. Hmm. Let's see. Well, I would say I always knew in my heart that I would be an artist. Even as a little girl, I would always painting and drawing and um, always had that inclination to want to make things <laughs> and, found a lo- and found a lot of joy in making things and, and was encouraged. I'm really grateful to my parents for encouraging me um, and you know, buying me art supplies and framing my little goofy drawings, (laughs) Uh, all of that. Um, And when I went to um, college, I didn't go to an art school. I considered it, but I, in my mind, I wanted to go to a more um, just well-rounded liberal arts school because I always felt like the best art was art that was informed by a lot of interesting things, you know, whether it's history or physics or travel or philosophy. So I didn't want to just go to a craft making school. I really wanted to go to a school where I could feed myself and nourish myself with a lot of wisdom and inspiration because I felt like that would give me the best opportunity to make the best art. Um, I was an art major in school and did a lot of painting and sculpting and I even interned for a while at some art galleries in San Francisco. And then during my sophomore year in college, I had a I was kind of like going along, I was enthusiastic, I was loving school, and then all of a sudden I just like it was like running into a wall. Just all of a sudden I just 
couldn't do it anymore. It was like I had all my, I just, I can't explain it. It was like all of a sudden I had no interest in what I was doing. Like my enthusiasm just, it just was gone. And I felt so uh, fatigued and burdened by being in school and having to go to classes. And I knew that something was deeply off. I decided to take a semester off of school. So I left school to see if I could find my mojo again. <laughs> and um, so I was 19 and I took a leave of absence and I set off on a really big adventure. <laughs> and I traveled to India for the first time when I was 19. And I traveled to Nepal and I traveled to Indonesia and Thailand and like just a big trip to open my eyes and see what the world was about. And it was very deeply impactful. And I believe like I remember on that trip, really just having a prayer in my heart, like, please help me find my way. Like, I don't know what's wrong. I've been doing everything the what, what I was supposed to do. You know, I got good grades and I worked hard and I like checked all the boxes and took all the tests. And I didn't know why I was having this. I just felt frozen in my life. And so I, as I traveled, I definitely had this prayer of like, help me find my way, like help me find what I'm supposed to do. The universe has a funny way of answering those calls, not not often the way we would expect or maybe even prefer how those calls get answered. And um, yeah, so I, uh, I came home and I came down with a, just a very, I started having a lot of health issues and very strange symptoms. When day I came home, my feet were so sore and my feet had blistered, like the whole entire sole of my feet blistered and fell off. Like it was just really weird and rashes and canker sores. And, and basically what happened is I, um, I was having a huge autoimmune crash, uh, like a, just a total health crisis. And so, um, and during that time I was living with my sister in San Francisco and she took me to my first yoga class. So this is what got me on my path with yoga, you know, through a spiritual crisis, through a health crisis. Um, you know, I'd asked, help me find my way. <laughs> and I found, I did find my, it pointed me in the right direction, but you know, not in the way I'd hoped, I suppose. I started practicing yoga and really it was a life raft to me at the time. Um, at 19, going through all this confusion and life confusion and health confusion. And it really gave me um, this inner stability. When I fell in love with yoga, I really started to reconsider my pathway as an artist because here I was finding like this deep resource and wisdom and and like life-changing support through yoga and the yoga community and what I was learning. And suddenly I looked at what I was doing, making art, and it seemed really superficial. Like, how was this going to help anyone? This is just narcissistic. And I really um, kind of took a big pivot at that point. And I did kind of put all my desires of being an artist way on the back burner. I'm not even sure I thought I wanted to do it anymore. And I turned all my love and attention toward um toward yoga, toward studying it, toward eventually teaching it. <laughs> I would say years into my practice, I was about six years into my practice of yoga. At this point, graduated from school, uh, working at a book publisher, 
still not totally sure what I was going to do with my life. My teacher, Larry Schultz, um, told me I should take the teacher training. And he said, you should really take the teacher training, Amanda. It'll change your life. I'm like, how is this going to change my life? Like, it's just a training. At this point, I've done so much school, so much education, so much yoga. I was like, how is like a 28-day yoga workshop, basically? That's how I was thinking it going to change my life. And um, I signed up. It was the training started on January 2nd, 2000. So it was the first or the second day of the new millennium. And we all lived through the new millennium. Of course, everyone was like, what's going to happen? Is Y2K? Is every, the world going to crash and the computer's going to forget everything? <laughs> uh, <laughs> of course. It's hard to, you know, it seems so funny to remember that time. But yeah, we were we weren't sure what was going to happen and pretty much nothing happened. And except for I started doing my teacher training and and it did totally change my life. I mean, I ended up leaving the partner that I was with. I moved. I met my husband, my future husband. I went off to India again and I started teaching yoga. And then I opened a yoga studio <laughs> um, all within a year of taking um, my training. So yoga did really super change my life. And <laughs> <laughs> your entire life. Yeah. Like when I met my husband and we were in our teacher training together, that's how we met. We met on that first day of teacher training. When we were done with the training and we were falling in love, we decided to go to India together. He had never been. I had been that one time before when I was 19. And when we went this time, we went to study yoga down in uh, Mysore with Patabi Joyce, and the, who's the Ashtanga yoga lineage holder. I think, I think just being together, being with um, him, he's so such a hyper creative person. I think that second trip to India really shifted something, and I started to see all this beautiful divine artwork and. It, that calling of inside me to make things and to be an artist slowly started to creep back in um, after many years of just totally thinking it wasn't the right path for me. And I think what, it, what happened was I was able to see in India how art was used as a way to inspire and uplift people. It was devotional painting, you know, it was um, made by people who's, who were in love with the divine and wanted to express that and wanted to use their art as reminders for other people to see the divine in everyone and everything. And everywhere you went in India, you know, in the rickshaws, there would be Ganeshas and Lakshmis and in the shops, like it wasn't, art wasn't like this elite in the gallery, kind of obtuse, hard to understand. You're not sure if you're interpreting it right. It was like for every, it was for everybody and it was everywhere. So it really, really shifted my relationship with being like wanting to make art again and help call me back home to that, to that desire that I'd always had. And I started to paint again. First, it was really just little devotional paintings. I, I painted a lot of the gods and goddesses that I was studying through my yoga training, through being in India. I started to paint landscapes, you know, where I lived. I, we moved uh, after 
we took that trip to India, we, I moved up to Point Reyes, where we live now, and we opened our yoga studio in 2001. So we've been at our studio now for 17 years, and I it's beautiful here, and I started to paint the landscapes and the, the little cows, <laughs> and I started to paint, you know, the things that I was in love with, and I just kind of did it for my own uh, pleasure, and then several years later, we made another trip back to India. And on this trip, I had been looking at some images of paintings in these caves called the Ajanta Caves, um, which are in central India. I convinced Nicholas that after we went and studied yoga in Mysore again, that we should go and see these magical caves <laughs> filled with incredible art. And he agreed. <laughs> and we made a pilgrimage there. And that's where I saw the the Buddhas for the first time. Inside the caves, a one of the murals was a thousand little Buddhas sitting together meditating. And so that's where the spark for that journey began. <laughs> that was a long answer. <laughs> In that answer, I seriously thought of so many pockets of questions just from the story itself. And 10,000 Buddhas, dear listeners, if you're not familiar with this very famous worldwide art piece. Please Google it right now. It's fascinating. I absolutely love it. And I love the story behind it. And now we get to learn the inspiration for it, which is beautiful. And I'm curious, what does the image of Buddha represent to you as well as the grand image of 10,000 Buddhas? I think what happened when I saw that painting in the caves is uh, at first I didn't you know, there was so much beautiful art on that trip. I was just taking it all in. Um, when I got home, that image just kept coming up and coming up and resurfacing in my mind until I just was like, it was like compelled me. It like forced me to paint it. It was like, you just got to get this out. You're just obsessed with this image. And I got a, a biggest piece of plywood I could find, which was like a four by eight foot uh, piece. And I started to paint what I remembered seeing, with the, which was all these little Buddhas sitting together and their different mudras and their different little facial expressions. And this, there was some beauty to me and in the symmetry that they were all sitting together and doing their own practice. They were all slightly different, but they were all in it together. And I think when I've reflected back why I think this image was so powerful to me, what it meant to me was it was reflecting the experience that I was having practicing yoga in community and meditating with my fellow yogis, going to group classes, um, studying with Patabi Joyce. You know, he would come to America back then and you would be in a room with five or 600 yogis and breathing and moving together. So that feeling of practicing together in a large en masse was was very real to me. So I think part of the the um, image of all the Buddhists sitting together really spoke to me about the power of community. I know for a fact that I would have not have continued to practice so consistently for 25 years if it weren't for all the people that I practice with, if it weren't for the sangha, if it weren't for the studios and the teachers and the, the other fellow yogis who show up. I know that gave me so much support all those years. So I think that was part of it. I think I also really resonated with this, this idea that it's not just this one 
person who gets to be enlightened. It was the image of the thousand Buddhas to me was, oh, we're all destined for this awakening. And by practicing, we're going to lift each other up and we're all going to get there together. And uh, that still resonates with me a lot, that this is a group effort <laughs> and, a, and a responsibility, a responsibility of myself to the collective. You know, how I, what I think about, what I say, how I act, it affects the people around me and it affects the whole. And I think that interconnectedness is a very powerful and, and art has a funny way of touching that part of our minds without that's beyond logic. And it's just very visceral. And I think that's what I was have been getting all these years from painting all these uh, Buddhas together. Dear yogis and active peeps, Fabletics has an extra special treat for you for the soul tribe gifting you two leggings for only 24 dollars yeah to help you live your passion every day <laughs> just go to fabletics.com forward slash magic and if you are not familiar with fabletics well they're basically the netflix of yoga pants and this may be embarrassing to say but they're pretty much <laughs> the only thing i wear these days as they are just so cozy and fit so well on my human shell, making my human shell feel so fit. And my favorite pair of yoga pants are still my rose-colored high-waisted Fabletics, but also my new high-waisted black capris. And oh, they just, they look so good, they feel so good, and they make me just want to play and flow. All their pants do. And also their sports bras, they may be my new obsession, especially on my runs because they really hold me in. But what I love most about them, besides the fact that they're, again, cozy and the best looking pants on my body, is the fact that they are constantly changing their designs all the time. And they're the most affordable quality activewear on the market. Very high quality material. It's just amazing how this aligned and fabletics manifested in my life. Because like I said, they really are the coziest and most fitting activewear for my body. They also have this really cool VIP members program, which gives you better deals of about 50% off regular prices, plus free shipping and additional perks that you can't resist. So I actually ended up joining that. And so, Tribe, again, Fabletics is gifting you two leggings for only $24, which is a $99 value. So just visit fabletics.com forward slash magic. I'll leave it in the show notes. That's fabletics.com forward slash magic and pick your two pairs. You've painted all over. I'm so curious. Where was your favorite place to paint if there was any? Oh my gosh. Um, I know. I, I really don't have a favorite, but I just recently posted about the first big mural that I did, which was in Miami. And that was a big landmark wall for me because it was my first big public art piece. And I had seen, I had been to Miami during Art Basel and I had seen this arts district filled with people just painting in the streets. And I had never seen anything like that before. <laughs> um, just crews of people taking over the town and making art. 
you know, out in the street. And I remember seeing that one year and thinking, oh my God, this would be the coolest thing to be part of. And um, I'm a, I'm a bit shy and I won't really ask for things, but my, my husband is such a great advocate. He called our friend in Miami and said, Hey, do you think you can get Amanda a wall? And within 20 minutes, she had two amazing walls for me. And, um, and so, and so I had this huge opportunity. The wall was such a high profile place right across the street from, um, it's called the Wynwood Walls, which is the largest outdoor museum of street art in the world. (laughs) And the wall that she secured for me was a hundred foot long wall across the street. So it was just like, I don't know. It was just, it was wild. And I'd never painted a mural before that size. So I was so nervous. Um, For months before I was scheduled to go paint it, I was just constantly, like every night before bed, I was working it out in my mind, how I was going to tackle it. What kind of equipment would I need? What, how would I prepare, you know, the sequence and do I do the background or then the line, you know, it's just working it out in my head. And when the time came, it definitely was a huge challenge. There was just so much that was new to me. I didn't, for example, know what the machines are called that painters go up and down on <laughs> to paint an outdoor large-scale mural. <laughs> I, I really, I really just like took a picture. I took a screenshot and I sent it to an equipment company. I said, I need one of these. And I didn't know even what it was called. Whatever this is. Yeah, whatever this is, it goes up and down. That's what I need. They're like scissor lifts or they're boom lifts. Now I know all the details. Like, I feel like, yeah, now I'm a pro, but I was really so green that I didn't even know what they were called. And um, (laughs) because uh, during that weekend, there's so many people painting and art installations. I think I got the last scissor lift in all of Miami and it was it was kind of a um not the best (laughs) it was it it had like some weird quirks and it wouldn't drive straight so if I wanted to go straight I had to go left right left right left right it would be so challenging I would have the hardest time so I thought it you know I now know that it was probably like a uh you know, a problem with the machine. But of course, I just thought I was incompetent and couldn't drive this thing. Um, I kept crashing it into the wall. Luckily, it was like a really solid cement wall because I crashed into it so many times. Um, (laughs) That wall, that first wall, it was just so, you know, I just, it was hot. It was Miami and then it would rain and then it would thunder and then the wind would pick up and might blow my stencils down the alley. And I think the most challenging part um, was it was my third day of painting and there was a man who had his office in the parking lot down at the other side of the alley where I was painting. And he was really irritated that I was delaying him getting into his office because I had to drive this rogue scissor left left right left right to get out of his way and you know it wasn't the most smooth thing and um and so he was screaming at me and he's like I'm coming out in 10 minutes I I don't want you to be on this thing and have to wait for you again or I'm you know and I was like okay so nervous and um so I'm waiting and the time is like 10 minutes oh okay so 10 minutes go by 20 minutes go by 30 minutes and I'm 
thinking, oh my God, I don't know when if he's going to come out again, but he's going to yell at me if he comes out right now. I have to finish this wall. Like I, I have one more day to finish. So I get back on the scissor lift and I get back to work. And sure enough, he comes out and his face is just red and he is like smoke coming out of his ears. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> quickly try to drive this thing out of the way. He gets in his car and he guns it and he like drives right for me. At that point, I'm off the lift and I had to throw myself against the wall. I swear to God, he just tried to take me out. And I was what? I was just shaking. Um, and I really, it was like a, it was like a raw introduction to being a street artist. Like it's, this was outside the safety of my little cozy art studio where I normally <laughs> worked. And I was, I was really, um, it was super intense. Uh, and I almost quit. I was almost like, this is too much for me, you know? Um, and my husband was there and he was like, you can do it. You know, you're okay. Let's get back there and, and finish what you started. And so that oh, first yeah. wall, I don't know if it was my favorite wall, but it was one of the bigger, biggest accomplishments to get over that first initial fear and all the things that came with it. And, and so I'm very proud of myself for getting through that first one. <laughs> wow. Amanda, one, I'm happy that you're alive and safe <laughs> and that your painting is there and it still exists and that you didn't allow these fears and these judgments from others or these outside distractions or your own judgment, your own fears, your own mental distractions or physical distractions get in the way. I am so happy that you created it. <laughs> thank, thank you. Yeah. And to anybody out there listening who has a project they've been wanting to start, I, I was talking to somebody recently, if you're afraid or you're nervous, that's a good thing. You know, that means you're onto something. And you can only be courageous if first there's fear. If, if it's too easy, there's no victory in that. So carry on, just put one foot in step of the other. You'll figure it out. Go for it. <laughs> so true. But fear is one thing. And then another thing is, well, writers call it writer's block, but do you ever run into artist block or ever lose motivation or inspiration to create? You know, I haven't in this, in the last six or seven years of this project, I think I think having this goal of painting 10,000 Buddhas really anchored me. I, I wasn't having to come up with a new thing every time I set out to work. And what was fun for me was the challenge of how do I keep it fresh? And I, it, it just seemed to be really easy. Even, you know, I was, I was painting today in the studio and just really excited um, because there seems like an infinite amount of ways that I can stretch into this one theme and you know scale and color and different mediums and you know spray paint and gold and letterpress and there's just so many different ways to make them I love that so you get creative with how you create yeah. the buddha yeah so it gave me sort of a boundary and then I feel like it gave me a ton of freedom to really be free that is amazing. And that because a lot of people run into this block where they just feel stuck or they just don't feel motivated or inspired to create anything. And it's hard to get past, but your why was strong enough and your vision was strong enough that you ended up, Bill, six years on creating today. That's so beautiful. Yeah. And I, I would say that 
before I landed on this project, or it found me rather, I had many false starts. I had many ideas for things that never fully got off the ground, or I'd get started and then I would peter out with my enthusiasm. So I've had that experience um, in the past. I can definitely relate to it. And I think it just takes, you just have to keep going till you find the right project, till you've got the right the right muse. So I'm, I'm really grateful because I have had those creative miscarriages, as I call them, in the past. <laughs> I love that. Creative miscarriages. I love that, but I don't love it at the same time. Yeah. I love the sound They're hard. <laughs> They're oh, hard. yeah. When you said that it came to you, which of course it did, I'm curious about your creative process. Do you just download these images in your mind, then bring it to life? Or do you just begin painting on an empty canvas and see what comes? Or maybe none of the above or both? What is your creative process like? I would say my process is more like the the first thing you said is I often see see it first in my mind's eye. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll have like a vision of what I want to make. And then it's always interesting how having a vision and then trying to manifest it, it changes along the way. Sometimes really trying very hard to match what I'm making to look like what I see in my head. And other times I allow it to kind of change and morph a little bit as it wants to come out. Especially like today I was in the print shop and it's really hard to control the ink. Like you're, I, I have these oils and I mix them and I roll them onto a piece of plexiglass. And the process of mixing the color and then mixing them on the plate and then I run them through the press and press the plate onto a piece of paper, it's just magical what happens. I can't say I'm in total control. <laughs> a lot of times I'm like, wow, I had no idea what's going to look like that. So there's definitely a lot of room for things to happen that aren't what I'm previously thought was going to happen. Yeah, well, you yourself are being a vessel and just expressing what's coming through. That is beautiful. Dear self-expanders and yomis dedicated to enhancing their talents and learning new skills to have the best lived human experience, well, if you haven't tried out Skillshare yet, it is time for you to challenge yourself for the next two months to try Skillshare for only 99 cents. That's right, two months for 99 cents for the Soul Tribe when you use our special link, skillshare.com forward slash magic. This is truly a steal because you'll have access to over 20,000 courses, creative courses and writing courses, illustration, photography, business, singing, tech, social media, and strategies for being your own boss and launching your career. And they have also lots of fun workshops that you can attend me. I've already taken a couple different writing courses and an entrepreneurship course. Brilliant. So again, Skillshare is gifting you two months for 99 cents when you use the special link skillshare.com forward slash magic and just take a peek. Why not? That's skillshare.com forward slash magic and start your two months today. It's amazing that your work has been featured. I mean, not only is it all around the world, but also in National Geographic and 
New York Magazine and Yoga Journal, which I bet many of the listeners, that's just a dream to them. You know, Mm -hmm. that's something that they want their art to be seen. And do you have any advice for those that might also be introverts like you, but they are shy to get their art out there? Or even if they're not shy, but, but they just don't know where to start. Do you have any advice for getting your art out there? That's a great question. I had, first of all, I had no idea um, that this project would get this big <laughs> or that it would get the attention that it's that it's had. I, I didn't set out for that. I really was just trying to make something cool for myself. <laughs> well, and following the call. Yeah, following the call and trying to keep up with my ultra creative husband. <laughs> right, um, I'm sure. <laughs> do something. So, uh, and so I, when I did that first wall in Miami that I told you the story about, I had just made my Instagram handle. I just, you know, decided to call it 10,000 Buddhas. And again, it was Nicholas's idea that I signed that I probably would have left Miami and not signed that mural at all because I just wasn't thinking about that stuff. And he's like, no, you should put your handle on there. <laughs> and I was <gasps> like, okay, I put it on. At first I got the wrong number of zeros and I had to wipe it out and do it again. <laughs> Oh my um, gosh, a hundred thousand. Well, I mean, it, I kind of, it will be. It is. Yeah, it probably will be. Um, and so I put that on there, and the beauty of Instagram is that it was a public wall, and people made this project happen. You know, people posted, they shared it, they tagged me. They're the ones who spread it, and and made it. You know, made it a thing. And then because of that, wow. I I kept getting invitations to paint other walls and then more people would take pictures in front of it and share it and tag so it was a very organic process I think the only advice is like do your work and put it out there in some way like have a show share it with your family do an open studios do something post it on Instagram even if you never leave your house like you could do a drawing a day or whatever your project is it was super helpful for me to share with this audience. Um, Before I did public walls and before Instagram, I would paint and maybe have a show once every two years and the show would be up for a month. Maybe a few hundred people would see it. So it really is, it's an amazing new world that we live in that that we can get our art out there and it, it, I think it's much easier than it used to be. Oh, yeah. Thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands to see it. Perhaps the new signature is going to be an Instagram handle. <laughs> or, <laughs> or maybe maybe do your signature and then underneath it, always add your Instagram handle if yeah. you're seeking that. That's actually well, not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea. I mean, I don't sign my name on my um, on my murals. Mm. I only signed the Instagram handle. And that's partly a conscious decision. I, when I saw the caves, the painting in the caves, that those caves weren't signed by anybody. You know, they were a, probably a collective group of artists who worked on those paintings and over many generations. And I, uh, having been inspired by that, I didn't, it wasn't important to me that my name was on it. In fact, I was like kind of cringed the idea of signing it. But I felt okay putting at 10,000 Buddhas because it was almost just informational. <laughs> like <laughs> um, yeah. it wasn't wasn't so much about me and it helped, helped me. I really admire that. I really do. And that just makes it more of what you practice with the Buddha philosophy 
So I love that. And another art of yours, you've been a yogini for, well, almost three decades now, right? Yeah, 25 years. Yep. Wow. So when you were introduced to this 25 years ago, I'm sure you didn't know it would be where it is today. And what are your thoughts of how it has evolved from back then to the way it has hit this Western world and become more widely known? Well, I noticed, of course, a lot of a lot of changes. When I started practicing, there was maybe only three or four yoga studios in San Francisco. And now there's maybe hundreds. I don't know if you like yes. they're on every block. And uh, so there's been a huge growth and um, so many people practicing, which is amazing. Uh, I've seen a shift in when I started, there were also just a handful of these master guru teachers. Um, and that there was a lot of wonderful richness in that heritage and those traditions. Um, what I'm seeing now more is it, it is not so much about the singular master teacher, but more of this collective, which also goes back to this, this, image of all the Buddhists sitting together. I feel like yogis today are much more influenced by each other. They're sharing different methods. It's not like one true path of this, you know, it's all mixed and blended together um, it, because there's so much uh, sharing going on and so much pollination of different styles and different information, which is, which is great. It's creative evolution. <laughs> so I, I've always had a deep respect for the, the tradition and the lineage. And I also uh, respect and appreciate the creativity that, that Western yogis have brought to the practice. So I think there's a balance. I think when you get too, a little bit too creative and you've lost the roots, then you may have lost some of the, the power of the practice. And I think being too by the book, you know, dogmatic, um, that, you know, with the old way or the right way that you, you know, that's not so great either. So I think there's a happy middle place that we can find with, with balancing those two aspects. That's amazing to hear from you, especially since you studied with someone who who basically created the traditional way of Ashtanga yoga. I asked MC Yogi this question too, because it's so amazing to me to know that you studied with Sri K. Patabi Joyce, right? Mm -hmm. At the time, I don't think we realized how lucky we were. I don't think we were thinking of it. It was just, he was our teacher's teacher, and that's why we went to study with him. And I'm so grateful that we that we did and ha had that that experience there's definitely was a transmission with with those um that generation of teachers they just had so much yoga in their bodies and in their bones and <laughs> that just being around them was 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 a real learning experience oh i am sure what was the greatest message or learning experience or lesson that you received from him steadfastness with the practice you know he'd just been practicing for 60 plus years when I met him in his 80s and and his joy of teaching had not diminished at all he, he really loved to teach I think I just remember also he he really redefined what it was like to be 
in your mid 80s. You know, he was when I met him, he's in his mid 80s. and He was like rocking his world tour <laughs> with like oh, yeah. thousands of people coming to see him. And that's really cool. I feel like, you know, what a great example of not just, you know, getting older and giving up, but he just pressed on until it, as long as his body would carry him. Um, he continued wow. to teach. And, and that was that was really powerful to witness. No kidding. I can definitely see you and your hubby also being (laughs) 80-year-old teachers or yogis, but I see teachers too. And it's amazing. I think the story of you two, you opened up your yoga studio and you worked every single class. You taught every single class every single day, Mm -hmm. 364 days a year with only Christmas off. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. I just, that's so, well, that's so adorable, first of all, but I just can't even fathom, like, how did you manage to work with your art and also, well, with him and his music and you both together in your relationship? How did you balance that all? I don't know. (laughs) I honestly honestly don't know. If I think about doing that now, I'd like, I'd fall over thinking that was like way too much but somehow no we just did it somehow we were just young and we didn't know any better we just did it force like you were just listening and following it yeah I I think we just did what we felt like we needed to do to keep it going and not only did we teach all the classes but we each had three other jobs to pay the bills because the How? first wow. five years of having a yoga studio was like running a you know, zero profit operations. So, so yeah, we had, uh, yeah, on top of all that, we, we had a bunch of other jobs that we. That's amazing. Yeah. And I love that you two are still working together and collaborating and creating art and performing and doing yoga retreats. What is that like doing that with your husband? It's so good. (laughs) It's so good. It makes me so happy. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's the best. I just I'm so grateful and happy that we get to share all of it together. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Are you ready for a rapid fire round? Okay, I'll do my best. <laughs> oh, you've got this. Dog or cat person? Oh, dogs. Yoga or painting? Oh, total tie. <laughs> When I always say, uh, whenever I'm painting, I think about yoga. Whenever I'm doing yoga, I'm thinking about painting. They're like, it's super weird. Wow. And you kind of are always doing both at the same time. Yeah. So I can't even separate them anymore. (laughs) Do you prefer to paint in the morning or at night? Morning. Do you prefer to flow in the morning or at night? I would say morning or midday for everything. By the evening, I am like, I want to eat and watch a show and wind down I'm not a big evening creative person get my creativity uh in the daylight (laughs) yes I feel that where was well I already asked this your favorite place and you didn't know for the 10,000 Buddhas huh Mm. um well Miami was a big landmark I would say my favorite now that I've thought about it is Washington DC where I did a three-story mural and on the last day of painting these three beautiful Tibetan monks showed up and did a whole ceremony and blessed the wall and <gasps> chanted. Wow. For, and that was 
definitely a peak favorite moment of my whole life. <laughs> that is amazing. That would yeah. be so cool. Wow. What is your favorite MC Yogi song? Mm, that's a really hard one. Oh, uh, you know, I have to say he just wrote a new one called Golden State of Mind. And it'll be coming out in a couple months. And it's my new favorite. It's so oh, good. I can't wait to hear it. Yep. Ashtanga or vinyasa? Um, I would have to say vinyasa because it's adaptability and you can do it slow or you can do it fast. It's just more modified. But I did recently go back and do like a full primary series. I hadn't done it in a while and I felt like I was walking on air after it was, it reminded me what a brilliant and powerful sequence that is. So for life, probably vinyasa, but definitely go back and get that medicine from Ashtanga every once in a while. Yeah, yeah, it does do that. You're right. Like you're walking on air. Your favorite music artist aside from your hubby? Oh, I actually grew up listening to a lot of jazz. Both my grandparents played jazz instruments and my dad listened to it and I inherited a lot of their records. So um, my favorite musicians are like I love Ella Fitzgerald and Billie Holiday and those old incredible Aretha Franklin, those old soul singers and jazz singers are maybe my favorite. And painter who inspires you. And it feels kind of cliche to say it, but George O'Keefe, Frida Kahlo, these incredible women who are oh, pioneers yeah. um, in their time. And <laughs> when I was painting uh, the deity painting, somebody said it looked like Frida Kahlo went to India. <laughs> So I thought that was so flattering. I definitely, yeah, they've been huge inspirations to me. Oh, yeah, they're amazing. I looked at Frida's exhibit in London, and it was phenomenal. So no, that's not cliche. Book you're currently reading, if any. Uh, I read a lot. Um, I just finished two books by the same author, Madeline Miller. One was called Circe, and the other was called Song of Achilles. They're both... Uh, creative interpretations of Greek mythology, and I love mythology. So those were amazing, um, like historical fiction that I just finished. I love it. Define love. Beauty, expansive, radiant, and doesn't want anything in return. Mm, yes. So. The universe gave you, Amanda, free billboards to share one message across the main highways in major cities all around the world, which you already kind of do. <laughs> but <laughs> what would these billboards read? Uh, I don't think they would say anything. I just would paint on them all my Buddha over and over again. <laughs> Of course, yeah. of course. I should have seen that one coming. I know. I would love that. Actually, my father-in-law was like, we should buy you a billboard. That would be really <gasps> cool. But you really should, though. I you know. You actually I, really should. I think it's a great idea. I have no idea how much it costs. No. LA needs one. Yeah, that would be great. That's great. Maybe I'll crowdsource it. <laughs> you should. Oh my idea. gosh, Amanda, can you make that this idea happen right here on your show? Right. Yes, <laughs> I will put the link if you actually do this in the show notes. <laughs> I love that. Me too. One last question okay. that I ask all the Euro Magic guests 
Mm-hmm. How would you advise the Euro Magic listeners to create their own magic? Oh, uh, I think the first step is if you don't have a good relationship with yourself, start there. You know, journal, meditate, go for walks by yourself, have a relationship with yourself first, because I think that puts us in touch with our deepest magic that's going to be most helpful and useful in the world. So know thyself. (laughs) That's beautiful. So where can everyone find and connect with you? On my Instagram, which is one and four zeros, because I have to (laughs) get the zero part right. Um, One and four zeros Buddhas is you can follow the progress of the paintings and the murals as they go up around the world. And my website is the same. It's 10,000 Buddhas spelled out numerically. And on there, it has links to our yoga studio, which is in Point Reyes, California, just whatever we're up to in the world, retreats and trainings. How fun. I definitely want to take, I would love to like take a class with both you and MC Yoga, te- MC Yogi teaching sometime. Yeah. We actually used to co-teach a lot when we ah! would, in the early days, we'd get invited to events and we would want to share the experience. So even if they hired him, he would give me like 10 minutes (laughs) to do something, tell a story at the end. And um, now we're getting booked separately to go. So we don't code teach as much, but it was pretty fun. Oh my gosh. Well, this has been so fun to talk with you. You are so inspirational and I am so excited, especially for all of the aspiring artists and creatives to listen to this episode. It sparked a lot inside of me. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to share. It's such a privilege. It's such an honor. Yeah. Thank you. Dear Yomi, thank you so much, so, so much for lending your ear. I I hope something in this spoke to your soul. And will you please, please say hello in the Your Own Magic Facebook group to all of the Soul Tribers. And if you, if you like this podcast, I would so love to read your review. And of course, I'll gift you a free guided meditation from yourownmagic.life, which by the way, has many meditations, meditative imaginings, journal questions, magic monthly challenges, and just other spiritual tools for your soul. More on yourownmagic.life when you join the Soul Tribe exclusive site for $4.44 per month. I'm just thankful for us spiritualists to gather together and have a safe space to help us tap into our own magic. Anyways, I love you all so much. Thank you for listening and have a magical day.